Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, program, I've got Dave and Megan Bliley from Auckland, New Zealand. Dave and Megan lead a church in New Zealand that at one point was, was stuck right around 50 members, yet they went in there and now the church has gone from, from 50 to over 150. I met Dave about a year about a year ago and was inspired by the work that he and his wife have done there, and I'm looking forward to interviewing them for the Rob Skinner Podcast. Megan and Dave, great to have you on the program today. Thanks a lot, Rob. Great to be here. Kia ora from New Zealand. <laughs> nice to be here. So great to have you guys on. Can you share with us how you became Christians? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a Pentecostal church, so I'm familiar with church. I went regularly, but I didn't spend time with anybody outside of church, so I never saw anybody live the life. When I was 19, I joined the Marine Corps, and so that was the first time I got invited to church, and I spent time with people outside of church. There was a group of brothers in Atlanta, Georgia, that studied the Bible with me, and I spent time with them, and I saw them live the life, and I was blown away. I'd never seen anybody actually live the life. So I got baptized in August of 1995, but it was difficult, the Marine lifestyle, um, not necessarily compatible with discipleship. Uh, so I struggled for the first couple of years and, and ended up and ended up wandering quite a bit and leaving church, got transferred to Okinawa, Japan, and got reached out to again by some disciples. And I felt like God was following me across the globe, so it was time to surrender. And I think that's What's crazy is uh, you were in that side of the world at that time and, and helped me start my restoration process. So I was restored in, in 1998 and grateful that God pursued and chased me and brought me back. So that's kind of the short version, but that's, that's how it all went down for me. You know, that's what's so interesting, Dave, is that when I first met you, uh, well, not, maybe not the first time I met you, but the second time I met you in San Diego at a leaders meeting, I thought you were... Uh, a Kiwi, I thought you were from New Zealand, and then only over time I realized you're actually American. Yeah, and I'm it, from Virginia. You're from Virginia, and I was I'm like, from Virginia. Oh That's my right. gosh, it really threw me for a loop. And then uh, our paths crossed in Okinawa over 20 years ago. How about you, Megan? Yeah, so I grew up um, daughter of church leaders and missionaries. Um, and my parents really lived the life and taught us the Bible. So it wasn't a difficult decision to make. I always wanted to be a disciple. Um, at around 13, started studying the Bible and had a lot of religious sin to repent of. It took me a while to really see my sin and that I was going to hell. But praise God, he opened my eyes and um, became a Christian in Sydney, Australia, where I grew up and in the teen ministry there in the early 90s, so been a disciple ever since. <laughs> okay, so you you are the daughter of Mike Fontenot. Mike yes, and Tess. Terry, Tess Mike, Terry or <laughs> Tess, right? That's right. Okay. And we interviewed, I interviewed Mike a while back, and how, what was, can you tell me what it was like uh, being raised by, by Mike and Terry? I mean, they, they've got some very strong opinions about raising their kids, and um, what, what was it like on the receiving end of that? Yeah, um, it was great. I mean, they, they were always on the mission 
and they brought us along on that adventure. We helped them plant churches around the South Pacific. And I grew up doing that around that and loved that. Um, it, it was a, very much a part of our family. And so I, I never felt like they were too busy for us as well. We always had dinner every night. We had lots of fun and family holidays together. Um, so I enjoyed having the ministry around us. Not, I didn't grow up resenting it. So that was, I, I have heard other ministry kids feel the opposite, but I didn't feel that. So I was really grateful for that. But they had high standards. So sometimes we didn't like that. You know, even other kids in the church. Um, well, they're not doing that, but is their last name Fontenot? I don't think so. So this is what we're doing, you know. <laughs> and that was hard at times, but I look back and I'm doing the same thing with my kids now, trying to keep the standards high. You, you feel pulled to bring it down all the time, but later in life, you, you much appreciate it. So. Can you tell me a little bit about your family? How many kids do you have and their ages? So we have three children. Our oldest turns 10 next week. That's Lelise. Our middle daughter is seven, and that's Sophie. And our youngest, he's five years old, and that's Luke. So all three of them are in primary school now, and they go to school right down the street from, from where we live. So they're a lot of fun. They're growing up Kiwi kids. Yeah, they are. That's great. Were they, were they all born there in New Zealand? Where were they born? The girls were born in, in Virginia, and Luke was born here. We call him a kiwi fruit. Yeah, he's our little kiwi fruit. <laughs> and we have three different passports in our family as well. I, I have the American passport. Megan and the girls have Aussie passports. And Luke has a kiwi passport. So when we go to the airport, it's almost like the beginning of a joke. Oh American, boy. three Australians and a kiwi go to the airport. Oh my gosh, that must be quite an explanation trying to describe all of that. Yeah, we are related. <laughs> We're one family. <laughs> That's great. Well, how did, how did you guys get to New Zealand? I mean, you, you've kind of been all over the place. It, you know, you've already mentioned Okinawa, Virginia, Australia. Can you tell, kind of like, how did you end up where you're at right now? Yeah, so when I finished the Marine Corps, I moved to Hampton Roads, Virginia, and I'm from Virginia, so moved into that church. And that's where I got the bulk of the majority of my ministry training and learned a lot about the ministry there. So Megan and I married in 2008 and then started doing full-time ministry together. And so we led a university ministry for two or three years. And, and God really blessed that. And that ministry grew. And then we were able to lead a region of the church in Hampton Roads mm -hmm. as well. And that was unique because it had all ministries. It had the marrieds, the campus, the single, and the teens. So we, we first started getting training in the, in the campus ministry. And then it went broader to all ministries as we led a region. And after two years of that, I, I personally felt called to, to lead a church somewhere and abroad. And because Mike and Tess had connections over in the spa region, there was an opportunity to interview in Auckland, New Zealand. And so we came over in 2012 and, and interviewed, and I loved it. I loved New Zealand. There was, there was clearly a need here, and we felt like we connected with the people and the culture and, and the place. And so we accepted, and we moved here in 2013. So we've been here for the past seven years. Wow. Seven years. Yeah. Okay. So you guys you guys got married in 2008. Um, what, yes. What? Like, 
what was it that, that brought you guys together? Like, was there, was it sparks at first sight or was it just, you know, it, we, actually, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> we actually led a, we went on a campus mission team together. Um, 2001. Eight years before we got married and we're just, we let co-led together for a long time. Um, there was a bit of interest in dating back then, but didn't happen so seven years later we end up getting together but um we always had a call to kind of we worked well doing ministry together i think that's what the heart for the kingdom really pulled us together mm. um and then just yeah a natural friendship but uh D yeah dave was it a little intimidating starting to date mike fontenot's daughter what was that like <laughs> well Yes and no. I mean, yes, because it's Mike's daughter, but no, <laughs> no, because I, a, a few years b before I had met Megan, I got a chance to work at a, a summer camp in our region. The ACR it was a, a summer teen camp or a R camp is what it was called. So I got to meet lots of different leaders from that region, from the ACR region during that summer. And uh, Mike and Tess came through and, and led the camp for a week. And I was drawn to his preaching and he's just kind of raw, gritty word of God. And so before I had ever met Megan, uh, I'd heard Mike preach um, and I had known Forrest as well. I got to meet Forrest, who was uh, soon to marry Mandy or already married to Mandy at that time. So I kind of knew the family and then met Megan quite a bit later. Uh, so that, that, that was very helpful. I was familiar with the family a little bit and had already kind of heard Mike preach and uh, been, been attracted to his ministry. Um, so that made it a bit easier into the transition mm -hmm. rather than just kind of meeting Megan first and then meeting the family mm -hmm. and all that second. And then I went on a mission team plant with Forrest and Mandy back in 2004, Megan's older sister. Uh, so that was really helpful as well, just spending time with them and getting to know them and, and the family. And by extension, being able to, you know, catch up with Megan over the years as well. And he was in the same ministry with Michelle and Sam as well. So by the time they, my family is what sat me down and said, we all know that Dave is the one for you. <laughs> I was the last single sister and they were like, Dave is the one for you. And I'm like, what? So they had all embraced him. before. So me you, did, you didn't see it. You didn't see it as early as your family did. Huh? I, no, I needed no. help. <laughs> but I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Yeah. So you guys, I, and I am too. I'm grateful. So you guys went on a on a team to Virginia Tech with Forrest and Mandy, Vercel. Well, originally James Madison University okay. in Harrisonburg, that one, and then when we graduated. Then he went off to. I went to Hampton Roads, and he went to Virginia. Yeah, they uh, they planted that church there, which, which is my hometown, Roanoke. So I was I was eager to go on that mission mission team. So wow. And, and they his, did a great his job. His mom got yeah. baptized there. And oh, his brother. so awesome! And, and so my mom is still there, faithful and yeah, doing well. That's that's amazing. I I just have to I just imagine Mike Fontenot sitting you down and quizzing you on on Bible scriptures and seeing if you your your Bible knowledge <laughs> is good enough to marry his daughter. <laughs> I don't know why that I comes to I was lucky because Forrest and Sam had already paved the way, so <laughs> I was I was third in the queue, so that was helpful. <laughs> Well, now, now you guys are, are in New Zealand. I'm sure, Megan, probably less of a difference culturally for you, having been raised 
on the mission field yeah. in Australia. Were you, were you born in Australia? Were you born in the States? No, I was born in Louisiana. Yeah, okay. but I was two when I moved over. Okay, so you you consider yourself Australian? In- yeah, I always say Australian American to people. Okay, all right. Yeah. And Dave, what what's it like to be an American in New Zealand? Tell me about just the cultural the shift because when I first met you, I thought this guy's totally. News, you know, he's a New Zealander for sure, and it really shocked me. You've really made a transition. What What's it like? Well, it it was really cool coming here. I loved I loved the the people and the land, but th- there are a lot of differences. I think there's Americans can tend to be more forward and confident, and and the Kiwi culture is more reserved, relaxed, and a seemingly less confident uh equally as capable but not not as confident as the american culture so that's that's kind of a recognizable difference a lot of things get done a lot quicker in the u.s um things get done slower here in new zealand because there's a bit more relaxed and reserved in their approach and that that can spill over into the church church culture as well but one of the cool things is the the beauty of new zealand it's Mm -hmm. stunning in its beauty uh, I, I really like the kind of relaxed approach to life. They're very, um, you know, they take a lot of they take a lot of holidays and just kind of very casual and relaxed. So uh, that that's appealing, and it's got some cool cultural aspects with the the Maori, the indigenous people that lived here uh, and still live here. So it has a lot of cool features that, when you combine it all together, uh, combine it all together, uh, make it really appealing. Mm. Um, but the church life was different too, because I think. In America, because so many people are religious, you you really have to harp on repentance and call people to change their life and change the way they're living because they claim Christianity but really aren't. But that that message doesn't resonate as much here. It actually makes people withdraw when you you got to repent, you got to change. And we've noticed that we had to instill more grace and mercy. Hey, God, God loves you. You can do it, and He's been merciful. Mm-hmm. And that that seemed to resonate more and uh, inspire to the the church here in New Zealand. Whereas when I first came, I was ready to preach repentance. Everybody needs to repent. Everybody needs to, you know, get get us together. So I've had to grow in my own thinking of how to reach different people. Hmm. I mean, even in in New Zealand, they think Dave's a New Zealander. Um, until he starts talking and they can hear his accent. Yeah, that's, that's a giveaway. But yeah, he's really embraced <laughs> the people, the culture here. So it's pretty cool. That's great. That's that's really impressive. Now, can you tell me how the church was doing when you got there? And, uh, you know, what you, you went there in 2013, right? Yep. And what was the situation that you faced? So when we arrived, they had had, no staff couple for at least six years, probably seven years or more. So they were like around 50 in membership. And if, if you haven't seen New Zealand on the map, it's pretty geographically isolated. So that lent itself to being spiritually isolated as well. They weren't really connected to our fellowship of churches in, in the region of this world, nor globally. So just pretty isolated. And, and I think isolation can lend itself to becoming maybe 
drifting in your thinking, whether your life or your doctrine. So all of that was at play when we moved here. There were, um, and so, so those were kind of the negatives, but the positive was there, the 50 that were here were faithful, but just isolated and lacked vision. And so it didn't really take that much, honestly, to get that group going. Um, obviously there was some, you know, sin that needed to be sorted out when we first came and we had to make some changes and shift some things around, but, uh, and it was difficult at first, just trying to figure out the culture and all of those types of things. But mostly the, the people that were here wanted to be here. They had weathered the storms. They had been through all the drama and they knew they wanted to follow Jesus. They knew they were a part of God's church and, and they just wanted to go forward. Uh, so that was kind of, um, the climate when, when we came. When was the church planted originally? It was planted in the 90s. 30 years, it's the 30th anniversary this year. So. so 1990 was around January, between January and May of 1990, I believe. And the biggest size was about 250, we've heard. So it had shrunk quite a bit. Wow. Okay, so how did you how did you help it grow? So it it had it had been around fifty for a while, um, maybe ten years at that point. Yeah, slowly shrinking. Yeah, and so it had gone from two fifty back down to like fifty, shrunk a lot as many churches did after two thousand three, um, yeah. a big decline in attendance and membership. What did you do to spark growth? Yeah, that, that, I don't know, honestly, is it, I mean, we, we can look back and, and say and try to articulate some of those things. But what, one of the things that it seems overly simplistic, but I just believe it's true, is that I just started to preach the word every week and do expository preaching. And I really believe the power of God's word is what started to awaken people's faith and get them motivated and get them inspired and get them faithful. And, and they weren't really, you know, doing that consistently. I mean, you'd have really good hearted brothers that would work full-time jobs and, and try to put a lesson together. And, and they did really good for, for the resources they had, but I, I was able to really spend time and, and, and really put a, a lesson together that um, was expository and, and week after week, just preaching the word. I said, we're going to, we're just going to go through a book of the Bible and we're going to preach whatever the text has to say, and we're going to follow whatever it has to say. And, and so that's kind of one of the, the big things that stands out to me is that we're just going to preach the word from week to week and, and uh, we're going to follow the Bible and let the Bible do what it's supposed to do. And um, that's kind of the, the overarching thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a number of, of, of other things that we might've done on a practical level. We, we met with every couple that was here in the church. We got advised to do that when we first came. So we went to everyone's house and had coffee or tea or dinner and said, tell us your story Tell us what it's like, what it's been like here. Uh, what do you want to see happen? Just to meet and connect with people. So we did that on their, on their home turf. We came into their home. And uh, I, I think that went a long way. That was fruitful. And that was effective. And, um, and we, just, we just tried to set the, exa- set the example. Uh, we didn't just want to talk about bringing people to church. We were bringing people to church. And we were generating our own Bible studies. And so we just preached the word and connected to people and tried to lead by example. Mm. I'm sure there were other things. Yeah, that... I think the other thing we had to do in the beginning was um, call out a lot of sin. There had been a lot of undealt with sin that had really discouraged people. Um, 
mm. for a while. There were, for example, there were two couples in the church that hadn't spoken to each other for five years. Wow. And nobody could help them resolve. There was adultery that hadn't been dealt with. There were singles dating non-Christians, you know, all kinds of loose um, standards. Really, they were just hanging on in their faith. Um, and they couldn't handle us coming in just all fired up and preaching to them. <laughs> like <laughs> We had to really gently build their faith. Um, and, and we learned that like we did the same lesson we did in Virginia here. And, and in Virginia, they got inspired by it. And here they were like all walked away discouraged. And we were like, okay, what is happening? What's going on? And a lot of that was the culture, was them. Um, and Dave talks a lot about and we did at the time, both of us making new memories because they associated a lot with the the negative things of the ICOC back in the day. And, okay, we're not going to change the word discipling. We're still going to call it that. We're going to change what it looks like and make new memories of healthy memories of discipling or D groups or these evangelism. You, they would start to like twitch when you would talk about it, you know, like, ah, don't say that word. We're not going to replace the word evangelism. We're going to make new, positive, healthy memories where there's a nice a balance, right? Um, whereas before it was maybe abused a bit. So I think once they were able to make new memories in all these ways, build their faith, and then they started see, seeing people get baptized and seeing God do miracles, then it was like just the, it, I felt like we were able to watch this um, God breathe the spirit back into a church. Yeah, it That's was awesome. what it felt mm -hmm. like. And it was really an honor to be a part of that. It was unique too because the 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 members here were mostly married, and so one of the surprising things about the church is I here is I, I was trying really hard to hit the university and share my faith and and grow the university ministry, but the marriage ministry kept growing and outpacing the other ministries, and which was really awesome because it helped it helped build a really solid foundation and a financial foundation as well for the church and. And so now that's been invaluable because we have uh, we've seen so many married couples become Christians and and that's been really inspiring and healthy for our church as well. Yeah. OK, so how, tell me a little bit about the progress since that time seven years ago. Where is the church at now um, size wise? So we're at one hundred and sixty and we have plans to plant a church in the capital city of Wellington. So Wellington. New Zealand is two islands, a North and a South Island. And Wellington is an eight hour drive south of Auckland, where we live now. And it's the capital city. So it's where all the politics happen. It's where a lot of the arts happen. And that's where the, you know, the museums are for Lord of the Rings. That's where you go see all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so we're, we're in mid 2021, we want to send a church plant to the capital city. Mm. Are there any other churches outside of Auckland right now? In no. Okay, so it's just just Auckland right now. Just Auckland. Okay, that's exciting. Right so, at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's great. You're gonna plant yeah. a church. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about this making new memories because you know I, I think there's a lot of people that are they're in smaller churches they're trying to get their churches growing, and yet there is a kind of a wall with some of the older members who are. I don't know the word hung up on traumatized, you know, troubled by what they consider quote unquote old school practices. And so how, how did you guys 
handle that? And obviously you've grown past it and grown through it. How did you deal with that overcoming people's reluctance to do things that maybe they, they had some bad experiences with? And you you talked a little yep. bit about making new memories. What, what did you, what did you do? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. I think one of the first things is just the theology of that. So there's plenty of examples of that in the Bible, the demoniac, you know, is walking around in a graveyard full of all these bad memories. Jesus heals him and creates a new memory. You know, a lot of Old Testament stories are God giving people from their uh, an opportunity to change from however their origin story started. So there's, I mean, it's just over and over, there's the idea of new memories. So I, I included a lot of that in the preaching and said this, you know, God is, is, is a God of creating new memories. Um, and so that's kind of the theology, but then on a practical level, just really talking to people and listening to people. A lot of people had certain views of leadership or had, had hangups about leadership and, and they just needed to talk to us about it and, and, and ask us, when you said this, what did you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And can I clarify? So it, it just was really lots of conversations over a long period of time um, saying, no, that's not what I meant, or let's, let's talk further. And, uh, and then it, they came to see that, oh, okay, this, this is really healthy. Uh, this is good. We're able to talk and, and, and arrive at a resolution. And, you know, one of the things we did too is, uh, even more recently, we, we did our guard the gospel series with the church. And a lot of people had a, a version in their minds that was kind of hardcore and you gotta, and, and when we went through the class, a lot of people were like so encouraged, but surprised that there's been a maturing mm. of how we study the Bible with people. Um, so that was helpful, but just, just really talking about it up front from the pulpit and then talking about it privately with people as well that, um, hey, let's, let's make some new memories. Yeah, there, there may have been some issues with leadership in the past, but let's, let's create new memories. Mm. There may have been some issues with how you interpreted discipling or evangelism in the past, but let's go out and make some new memories. Mm. And then when they started seeing people baptized, I think all the, all the dots started to connect and, hey, we, we, we are literally creating new memories. Mm. I don't know if there's other things as well that. Yeah, I mean, just a lot of conversations. It can get exhausting as the leader um, to, to go through that. But when we started doing that, those talks mainly with the leaders first and getting them on the same right. page. Um, and forming a leadership group that we were working together and then it would filter down the church that way uh, rather than us having 50 conversations with all these people um, and then using that to raise up the leaders and so yeah and but through the years it's taken s people several years actually yeah. to get through some yeah. of them but so other people they were ready to throw it off and move forward that's great that's so i love that just run with these people i love the attitude of saying hey let's just focus on what we can do now let's we can't you can't go back and change or address or you weren't you know you weren't there to address what happened in the past but we can concentrate and do something about what we're doing moving forward. And I love that attitude. And truly, it's, it's really all you can do, especially mm. in a situation that has a lot of challenges or, you know, institutional memory about things from the past. Mm. But changing the subject, what's what's working for you guys right now? What what are you excited about in the ministry right now? Like, we go, mm. oh, this is cool. I like what's happening here. Mm. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is 
you know, the, the COVID has forced us to go online, which is unfortunate in some sense, but it's actually been really cool with our leaders because we've had some of the more productive, fun leadership meetings on Zoom and more consistently. People don't have to leave church right away or sort out their lunch or their kids or, or any of that stuff. We can just hop on Zoom and we can really get down to some productive business. So we've been doing weekly Bible talk leader meetings and it's been really awesome. That's been really inspiring. And I think it's, it's helped them to, to lead their groups. And so what we do, uh, one of the charges from one of those meetings is every Sunday after we watch service, we're just going to take communion and our Bible talks on Zoom. And, and that's really been helpful. They've just been able to lead their Bible talks a bit more that way. Uh, the, the other thing that uh, that's really worked for me is an idea I got from one of your earlier podcasts. It was something I was inspired. You said you were meeting with a guy. I can't remember his name, but I'm going to meet with this guy five days out of the week and just really train and spend time with him. And I was like, oh, man, that, that's, that's another level. And, uh, but I was really inspired by that. So the guy that, uh, the couple that were training to, to go and lead the church plan in Wellington, I've been doing that with him. I've been getting with him a few days out of the week, a couple hours of the day. Let's talk through every single Bible study. Let's talk through every single appointment. Let's talk about what you're afraid about, what you're fired up about. Let's talk about your marriage. I, it's, been, it's been awesome, Rob. So that's what I'm really fired up about well as well. And I'm doing that with another guy that I'm training as well. So two guys uh, each week where I really just really try to pour myself into them. And uh, those Zoom Bible talk leader meetings have, have, have been pretty fruitful as well. That's great. And then uh, I think also having Saturday morning Bible study uh, for mm. anyone in the church. Mm. They've um, been studying Nehemiah and Ezra and then Saturday mornings coming together and having discussion groups of the, the Bible. Um, then we did the God, the gospel Saturday morning. Now we're doing the Jesus I never knew and setting out Jesus as Luke has preached every week at church. So that's been getting the Christians into their Bible more. Um, and then connecting on it's so easy to hop on zoom which we never would have done that before we would have felt like we had to find a location to come together yeah. and um the other thing is doing the god the gospel then people and because people are on zoom and you know media then they started asking people all over the world and their friends to study the bible so christians here were studying the bible with all kinds of people in philippines yeah. australia <laughs> america um just practicing their god the gospel that they had just learned so it created these opportunities and now um actually there's a girl about to get baptized in a city on the south island who wants to help us start a ministry down there because she was reached out to via someone in america yeah god so we're just following the spirit um, and then the other thing I would say is we're just really focused on the future, planting the mission team, and now maybe even building something in Christchurch, a ministry. And there's a, a Maldi brother here, the indigenous um, people here, who wants to reach out to his iwi, his tribe, basically, up north. And so we're having many mission teams um, coming Labor Day weekend, going down to Wellington, going up to Kataya, and starting to share with all these uh, people wow. and so i think the church is looking outward and what we're doing and not you know what's happening in the here and now and so that's been exciting that okay let's just talk a little bit about so you guys meet on wednesday night for midweek no yes or on saturday uh we meet wednesday night for a midweek 
Yep. Okay. So talk, Saturday- talk a little bit about your average disciples schedule. So Wednesday night, they show up online for midweek and you do like a class. Is that right? Yeah, we do a mixture. I'll do a class or I'll, I'll equip the Bible talk leaders to have a discussion and they'll break into rooms with their Bible talk, discuss a passage of scripture. Okay. And then on Saturday morning, you're doing a class. Is that a women's class or men, women and men's class? Is it for everybody mixed? Uh, So then everybody and it's, they do the prep and it's really, you don't need someone to teach. So I've been facilitating this one recently because I'm not I'm more facilitating. I'm doing the book as well. And we come together and we break up in breakout rooms and discuss Jesus and what we're learning. So it's more like a book club, kind of like a book discussion. Like, yeah. hey, this is what we read this week. And this is what yeah. I got out. That kind of a thing. Okay, that's awesome. And then on Sunday, you'll listen to the lesson. Then you break up into your, your quote unquote Bible talks. Yeah. And- so we'll watch the YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then the whole church jumps on a Zoom link. And I finally figured out how to pre-register everybody and assign, pre-assign the breakout rooms. And I finally figured that bit out. And so that way I've assigned everybody in their own Bible talk and, and the Bible talk leaders come and they, they give a, a thought to the communion and they just take communion together on, on Zoom as a group and they just hang out in fellowship. That's, that's a great idea. I like that idea. Okay, I'm writing that one down. It's a good one. And we did we did we did something last a couple of weeks ago with a, a sister church, where we sent them a video service from Auckland, and they sent us a video service from Melbourne, and then afterwards, uh, the the marrieds jumped on one Zoom link for both churches, and we just broke into rooms and had fellowship, and then the teens jumped on another Zoom link from Melbourne and Auckland. And they had fellowship, and then the campus and singles jumped on a third Zoom link from from Melbourne and Auckland mm-hmm. and had fellowship. So it, that was super cool. That was yeah. really fun. Okay, and so like, what what about Bible talks? So you have Bible talk leaders. Is there a separate time when people are meeting for an evangelistic Bible discussion? Or is that something you're not doing? <laughs> well, yeah. Since COVID, it's been a bit more tricky. So we haven't had like what you would. We've had men and women's Bible talks yeah. that were evangelistic. Um, yeah, but... Not like, not what you think of as a traditional Bible talk. So um, we have done... We've done different things. Uh, some have worked, some haven't. But uh, it, during COVID, it's just been more um, midweek, one week, and then the next week you'll do something in your Bible talk. Okay, so I guess that leads to my next question. What, what have you... Sounds like some great things are happening because of COVID, but what have you had to discard or discontinue because of COVID or what, you know, what, what have you had to say, okay, that's not working or maybe it once worked, but now it's not working. Like specifically for COVID? And just anything. Oh, anything. We've had to just like, especially before COVID, we kind of got rid of the old Bible talk model where like families come together and the kids get kind of pushed into another room and then they're going crazy while the, the adults are trying to talk. Um, and it just, and then a lot of times you have a Bible talk leader that's not great at teaching the Bible and it feels, it's a bit awkward. Yeah, we just found that Bible talks, it's the actual something. event was not something we'd want to bring our friends to. Yeah. So, uh, and we have a, a church full of families and lots of children and so uh how we've gone about that is doing um 
met doing different months. So one month is a four week women's Bible study and you, it's just the women and you just come together every single Thursday night and we do either a topic or a book and study it. And we had tons of women come to that and vice versa. The next month is the men. And we um, do that. We'd come together every Thursday night. We'd have a discussion and Bible studies from that. And both the men and the women, the men, the men and the women separate Bibles, uh, Bible talks generated more visitors and Bible studies than like the traditional model of Bible talks. And so then on the third month after that, we would have um, family um, gatherings where we'd meet as families together, either have a barbecue and, you know, or we'd pair up couples in the Bible talk to have dinner together and to invite a non-Christian family over at the same time. And the Bible talk leaders would kind of assign it to help structure it. And like this month, this is the couple. And it was great because then in the Bible talk, these two families would get closer together because they were also reaching out to someone together. Yeah. Um, so, and so that after this, we found the, the women were getting a lot deeper into their Bibles as were the men, because they weren't having to worry as much about the children. Um, they were bonding together and then Bible studies were being generated. That's yeah. great. That's, but that was pre COVID this, you're talking about stuff that's right. going on yep. before when you can actually meet together. Okay. That's great. Yep. Yep. That's all pre COVID. So, so I, oh. I, I don't know, but, but during the COVID for me, <laughs> may sound funny, but for me personally, I, I don't know how many videos I watched of how to put together a service and how to get people's attention. So I think one of the things I tried, <laughs> you know, I was sitting at a desk with a coffee cup. I was trying to make it like, <laughs> I just got, it wasn't working, bro. I mean, I was like, I don't really know what I was doing looking back. And so I, I had to discard, I had to discard, let me stop trying to um, market a video and let me just get back to preaching the Bible, but let me just use a little bit less text. Let me just use a shorter, a shorter bit and really try to drill that home. No gimmicks, no coffee cups, no, none of that stuff. I just want to, want to preach again. So I, I look back at that video. I'm like, oh man, I'm ashamed of it. What was I thinking? What was no, I trying? You try, it, it's good to experiment. Nothing to be ashamed yeah. of. That's great. Now, Mike, Mike Fontenot is, that's your father-in-law. He's a powerful figure. He casts a long shadow. How have you, Dave, how have you carved out your own leadership in, um, you know, in that, in that part of the world? I mean, how does that work? <laughs> well, yeah. So he's definitely, even before I met Megan again, I was just attracted to the way he preached the word. It was so, it came to life for me. Uh, so I've always kind of, even before Megan thought, man, there's, there's a guy who loves God's word and who knows how to preach it. Uh, but in terms of kind of being in his shadow, I think one of the things I learned was it's okay to imitate, you know, and where, I mean, all his, all his daughters became strong Christians and went into the ministry. Every ministry that he's been to has grown. And so I want my kids to become Christians and I want my ministries to grow. So God is obviously using him. So it's okay to imitate. I don't have to try you know, as a young man, I kind of felt like, let me, let me innovate. Let me try to figure out something new and cool. And, but this guy has done something and God continues to use him. I, I'm going to imitate his principles. Uh, I'm going to find my own way to implement the practicals, but it's okay to imitate because God, I mean, that's what Hebrews says, you know, consider 
the life of your leaders and, and imitate that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, he's, he's a man worthy of imitation. Um, but then second, just to kind of find my own groove, I had to grow in my security because uh, he is, you know, he's a very powerful leadership figure. And just to find my own kind of groove and approach to ministry, I think of that example in the Old Testament where, you know, Saul wants David to wear his armor. He says, here, try this armor on. He, he has a go, but I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use my sling and stones. And I think that uh, his principles are sound and so sound from the Bible. And so I, I take those and I uh, let me be secure enough to try my own try my own things. And I think that, uh, you know, I really felt called, especially coming to New Zealand. I felt like, um, you know, he leads him and Tess lead the region and they do a great job at that. But I felt like I've, I've developed my own vision for this country, uh, separate from his vision. I mean, he's always had a vision for Australia and and this part of the world, but I felt like God has really given me, you know, I want to see a church planted in Wellington and other cities and the islands and and I, I believe that's all from God, um, but I'm still okay to imitate whatever he's doing because God's definitely using it. That's awesome. Now, let, let, let me just talk about a little shift here. Let's talk about parenting, okay? Megan, one of the most common questions that I get is, how do you do ministry with small kids? And you seem like you've really got it together. Of course, you come from a good background, a great example. But what are you doing to to parent when you've got kids ranging from five to ten? That's a lot of energy. I mean, they're probably <laughs> going nuts in the room yeah. next door. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it was how we moved here with a, a two-month-old and a two-year-old and had a church that really needed to be restored. So I, the first five years here, I just, and then having another child is a blur. I'm Mm. so tired. (laughs) And I think that's something that you just have to resign yourself to that, especially the first five years of when my, my son just turned five, the youngest this year, I was like, wow, I was, I I felt like I needed a certificate that I had a medal. (laughs) I had made it through the first five years of my and then doing the ministry at the same time. And most people, for those women out there doing ministry and having small children, it's it's hard, um, but it's a season. I think we have to have perspective of that. Um, and also to not try and wish it away or, oh, if they just would get older here, you know. But I didn't, I moved here not having any family. So also the church had to become my family. I needed their help to be able to do the ministry so I just had to pull in these young people or even families to help me um, watch them, take care of them, be a part of our family so that we could also give to the church family. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to make it through without people helping me. So it was good because they needed the church here needed me to help them, but I also needed them. So we ended up becoming family like that. And sometimes it's hard to, to say you need help, <laughs> but we can't be ashamed of that. So um, but also I try and, um, if they're in school, I try, you know, do ministry crank during the day when they're in school and then really focus on them after school and then in the evening, focus back on ministry again. So, um, just being present, whatever I'm doing. When yeah. I'm let's talk a little bit about that. Like what, what habits or what routines do you guys follow to, to help your kids and, um, 
you know, like, what have you guys worked out? Like, what, what does it look like? Yeah. Well, I think this, I don't know, it's probably, um, parenting is, uh, it's awesome, but it's, you know, we're still learning how to, uh, you know, do all of that stuff. One of the things that I have a habit of doing is taking my daughters out on dates. So probably, you know, once a month I go hang, hang, just have a donut with them, spend time with them, let their guard down and, you know, just try to spend time with them. Uh, so that's a habit. Um, Megan does a really good job of, you know, cause she was raised with the expectation of having dinner together. So we do have dinner together every night and we've gotten a book that I, I like. It's called sticky situations. It's a uh, devotional for kids for every day of the year. And it's really a, a scenario you give them and a scripture and you talk about it. It's been so fun because we, we read, we read this little situation and our kids are learning to think about real life situations using the Bible. And so there's a scripture that guides how you decide on what to do. And uh, it's been awesome because it's, it's just been a real casual, non-threatening, non-kind of religious way to bring the Bible in. Hey, let's, let's talk about the situation and, and let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Mm. And so the, the kids are familiar with us turning to the Bible to figure out how we live our lives. Another thing that we try and do is um, work on their characters. So really study them each and know their characters well and make adjustments to our parenting per each child and what they need and really to pave the way as much as possible to make it um, not easy to become a disciple, but to help them. Like we're, like It's like we're studying the Bible with them now. We're helping them to find God when they're ready um, rather than make it hard for them. And so, yeah, just um, figuring out what that means for each one. I think my my parents, especially my mom, was really amazing at that. And she's taught me and my sisters how to do that, um, get to the heart level. And so then, and to not worry about maybe other things that aren't the deeper part of my children and what the most important things are. So Which that, is that requires a lot of talking to them mm. or figuring out or setting goals for them and pushing them towards those character issues. <laughs> you know, it, it, Which I think it's helpful because she's, she's able to be more in tune with it and we talk about it quite a bit. Uh, here's, here's what I think I noticed. And so that's what helps me kick into gear because my antennas aren't always on, you yeah. know, what's going on with the kids, but right, exactly. um, she's highly in tune. So we do have a habit of talking frequently about how to help our kids and how to push them and how to help them grow. Yeah. That must be universal because Pam, uh, my wife, she's always saying, hey, you know, you need to talk to so-and-so. And, you know, I'm like, oh, really? Okay. All right. She goes, oh, you got to have lunch. You got to have lunch with this person. I'm like, okay. She de yeah, she yeah. definitely clues me in and helps me out in that situation. It sounds, yeah. you know, it'd be great as, as if your family could write a book collectively um, on, on parenting. That'd be such a huge need. Um, mm -hmm. You need to see that that happens, share what you guys are doing. You know, one of the, one of the challenges that the people face is there's so many activities for kids and I don't, you know, this speak, especially speaking in, in the U S and in, in Japan, I mean, these kids are programmed. There's a lot going on. How do you leave space for your kids? How do you, what do you do to make sure that they can be in fellowship be at church, you know, and leave time for the family? Do you have, do you have any kind of guiding principles that help you? Yeah, 
we definitely um, have boundaries of our kids not being in too many activities yeah. so that they have energy to go have church. And we want church to be the not an activity. I don't want them to think it's just another activity that I do. I go to piano and dance and then church is another thing. But it's I go to church, I go to school. Those are the two main big things I do. And then I also play piano on the side. Yeah. And so figuring out our schedules so that it feels that those are emphasized. Obviously, school takes up most of their time. Um, But then church is the most emphasized, quote, activity, even though it's way more than that, right? Um, So one of my daughters seemed to be good at every activity we put her in. And so we made made her choose. You're only allowed to do two. Um, but I felt pressure from the dance moms and the, you know, right. oh, but I pulled, pulled here and there. I'm like, no, if I give into that, then it'll be, God will be squished out. And I, I'm not, I'm not willing to compromise there. And, That's a great, great yeah. attitude. So it's, it's a bit nerve wracking though, because I'm like, oh, but she could be doing this and that. But, right. like, but think big picture when she's 25 yeah. and 30, nobody's going to care how good she was at ballet when she was 10, you know, like that's great you got an award there but nobody remembers those things or right. cares long term yeah great great perspective okay so tell me about a time i mean you guys seem it's when you look back in the past 10 years or even 20 years ago you've done some pretty awesome things and and you're you're leading a church in a powerful way can you share about a time when you fought back from failure when you had faced some big challenges and and what you did to just kind of work through it uh, yeah, well, I think one that kind of stands out for me personally is, you know, I read this phrase in a book, the dark night of the soul, you know, where you just have this, uh, time of your spiritual lives is dark. So that for me, that was 2007 where I was working as a, a teacher and I was coaching basketball and, um, for about three years doing that, uh, every day coaching and, and teaching and just kind of not staying connected to God and not being spiritual. And this was at the tail end of this church plant as well. So I was trying to be on the church plant, teaching, coaching, and just kind of got drained. And, and and I failed to stay spiritual and got tied up in, you know, internet pornography and just got kind of addicted to it for a little while and ended up um, losing my job because of that. And, and it was a very humbling time where I just felt like ah, I was, I was, I was, I thought I was supposed to be hitting a good stride and I failed. And, but I think I just, I just got really humble. I uh, humbled and humble. Uh, I, I told my mom what happened. Uh, Megan and I weren't even dating at that point. And I remember uh, just telling her what was going on in my life. And I remember from that point forward, just really uh, getting raw with the Bible and prayer. And I didn't read any commentaries or any books. I just read the Bible and I went to this certain field back in my hometown and I just prayed every single day. And um, this was for about three or four months. And then uh, the following year, 2008, is the year I got married. The year I went into the full-time ministry and um, things took a, a dramatic turn for, for the good. But I, I really learned, man, I just, I got to be humble and I just got to keep it simple by getting back to the Bible and, and getting back to really solid prayers. Wow, thanks for sharing that. How about how about for you, Megan? Yeah, I, I think probably a similar time in my later twenties when um 
yeah, I, I wanted to do ministry and uh, I wanted to find a husband. I wanted, I had all these dreams for my life and they just weren't going. God had a different plan, different time. Um, I got discouraged. I got depressed at times. I got heartbroken a lot um, and didn't know, yeah, what, what do you want, God? What do you want <laughs> with my life? Um, and just the surrender and the constant fighting to be close to God during that time was, it, and it was for a few years. Mm. Um, and I feel like that actually God called me to the ministry and meeting Dave, it all kind of happened in the same year. We both came out of a time of humbling and it reminds me of the passages where he, you know, he lifts you up after being humbled. And, mm. and so it's helped me in the future. Then when we do go through hard times, realizing being humbled is good. God will lift us up in due time. Just hang in there, be patient, be faithful. Yeah. Um, but those times are really hard and yeah. they, you can't see. And, and I think this year with COVID and where the church is at, where we are, every time we get locked down, New Zealand is one of the most strict. Yeah. You are literally like imprisoned in your own home for <laughs> weeks, not even allowed to drive anywhere sometimes. And so, yeah, and we come out a bit depressed, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And our plans for the church and what we're doing get canceled left and right or just, you know, and you feel like, okay. But, you know, we live next to a vineyard and I look out, and it's been winter here in New Zealand, Southern Hemisphere, and the vineyard is dry. Like they prune it back to where you're like, it's great. Are grapes ever going to grow on that ever again? And these are old vines mm. that we're living next to. And now it's spring here in New Zealand, and suddenly the the leaves come out, and in in shortly there'll be grapes hanging from it. And it just has <laughs> helped me to watch this cycle of a vineyard go, you know what? It's pruning time in the world. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the grapes will come and and it's like that in our personal lives too. So that's yeah. that's so powerful. Well let's let's talk a little bit about there's two things I want to talk about from that. You know, one of the things I, I've I've wrestled with with COVID is I mean it's it's just a challenge emotionally. It's it's really tough. Yeah. It's very challenging as a leader to not be able to meet with my people to not see them physically and it, it I really feel at times like my tie, my hands are tied behind my back I feel like it's it's tough and there's there's days where I just feel discouraged I feel down I just feel like man this yeah. is tough I hate this you know and then there's days where I feel hopeful I go okay we're gonna get through this it's going good and there's some good signs yeah. but you know to be honest there's just some tough discouraging days what are you doing to 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 deal with that? What any tips? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of ministry leaders really wrestling with the same thing. If they're anything like me, like, whoa, this is going on longer than I thought. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. What What are you doing? Yeah, I, Rob, I echo everything. I <laughs> I've you know spun my cycle of. Uh, depression and discouragement and us like man when is when you know and I could feel it even as I wrote lessons like I felt like I'm squeezing juice mm -hmm. that's not even there right to try to and one of the things well there's two things one one I just finally said to the church on a on a midweek <laughs> I just said I am depressed and discouraged and I just don't feel like doing anything Starting tomorrow morning, whoever wants to join me on Zoom, I'm going to start praying at 6.38. I'm going to open up a Zoom link. And if you want to join me in prayer, 
I got to get fired up again. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like that's you, then just jump on the link. And for like the next five days, I had 20 to 30 people that jumped on and we all prayed together in the morning. And man, I felt it like start to generate, you know, some juice and uh, some excitement. And, And soon after that, a guy that I had reached out to earlier in the year contacted me. We studied the Bible and he ended up getting baptized wow. like a month later. And, That's um, great. But it was amazing. Just uh, just me being, being vulnerable and asking for people to pray uh, really did wonders. In fact, you know, if, if our lockdown continues, I'm going to have another go with that because I found it really inspiring. Hmm. And, and the second thing, I've, I've meditated just on John the Baptist's statement to uh, the crowds in Luke three, where he says, God can raise up stones for, for children from Abraham. Mm-hmm. And I've just really tried to get that into my brain that e- even when there's nothing, God can raise up a stone and, mm-hmm. and for ministry, even when there's zero going on, God can bring something from nothing. And I think we've seen that with Megan was describing that lady that is studying the Bible close to getting baptized. We had zero effort in that initiative. It was she knew a friend that went to a Devo somewhere on a Zoom. Like we had nothing to do with it. God clearly brought that out of the blue. And, uh, you know, a few other studies that are, are similar. So just really tried to beat into my head the conviction, God can raise up stones from nothing. Mm. And so I'm just going to be on the lookout, wait, waiting to see. Uh, I'm not going to wait idly by, but right. I'm going to expect that, that God's going to do something. That's great. Yeah. I think keeping the big picture in mind is helpful because when you think of, you know, the Bible and all the stories there and how much time it took for God to to do great things when they were waiting for so long, Um, you know, they were in the desert for years, 40 years. And then and but even in church history, when you look at that and how long it takes for for the cycle for God to work and work through generations and cultures and falls of nations. Um, and he's working, obviously, on the daily all the time, but sometimes it's times in history where things are shifted. And it feels like one of those, and we just have to mm-hmm. roll with it just and and don't analyze how good we're doing in the ministry based on this yeah. week's right. product. And right. Yeah, but having this big picture in mind, like God is sovereign mm-hmm. and outside of time. So, yeah, just be patient and mm-hmm. remain close to the vine. Yeah. And there'll be mm-hmm. fruit again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Going back to the discussion about your, your love life and stuff like that. Like you guys got married in 2008. How old were you guys when you guys got married? I was 32. Megan's 28, 29. Yeah. Okay. So you're Dave, you're a little bit older when you got married. And um, one thing I run into quite a bit, quite often is, you know, people, if they don't get married by 22, 23, they feel like they're just old timers. And, and you were talking about this, Megan, before, just the feeling of, of frustration. I'm sure you felt that at, at 20, 20, like, what's going to happen here? Am I going to get married? Am I going to end up a, an old maid or something like that? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a very real thing. Just kind of worry, like, is the right guy going to come along or is the right woman going to come along? What, um, what advice would you give people who, I know you just shared an illustration about the, the pruned grape, grape vines, but what advice would you give for people who are wrestling? Like, man, I don't, I just don't know what's, 
what's going to happen here? Because I think sometimes, you know, I hear about people walking away from the kingdom, leaving, um, which is really sad and unfortunate. But any advice you'd give, any encouragement that you'd give to people? Yeah, it. I think it's one of the biggest struggles for women who are single. Um, I think I was a bridesmaid 13 times oh my. for my own wedding. <laughs> my, both my sister, even my younger sister got married and they were having babies. Oh before, my gosh. They're having babies before I even started dating Dave, my sisters. And then I even went to my grandpa's remarriage before I ever got married. <laughs> and then... Um, I had Dave was my fifth boyfriend in the kingdom. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I just went through a period of five or six years, just heartbreak after heartbreak. And, and then there were all the boyfriends I felt like I dated, but didn't actually date. It was just a lot of emotional roller coaster trying to find God's answer of, of that. Um, and, and, and now I look back and see all the fruit in my character and my relation with God that was produced and I wouldn't replace that, but it was definitely a, a trying time. And um, just not knowing, I, I was, and with singles, I keep it with the analogy of the Israelites, how they're in the desert and they, you know, they look up, is the cloud moving today or is it staying still? And are we moving? And, and, you know, the Israelites always struggled uh, staying faithful to God when they were staying still, when the cloud was, because even though they were going in circles around the desert, when you're moving, you feel like at least you're going somewhere. It's when you're waiting that it's hard and you don't know, well, what, when is this cloud going to move? Right. right. <laughs> um, and just trusting in the cloud, trusting it. I mean, that's God and, and him knowing. And I had to get resolved too that marriage um, outside of God is, worse than being single mm. with God mm. um, and marrying the wrong person is even in the kingdom. You can, yeah, I believe you can marry the wrong. You can be unequally yoked and, right. and not be as fruitful as you want to be, or as spiritually happy as you mm. want to be, or raise your kids, you know, if you're not on the same page. And so just that, the patience, um, but clinging to God during those times is the most important thing and trusting that he loves you enough that he's so hopefully this answer's not too long, but the other thing passage that helped me is Matthew seven. Uh, you know, if you, if you ask for a, um, a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. And I just felt like God gives me snakes. He doesn't give me fish, mm. but it really tested my theology of what do I believe about God? Mm. Because I had to admit, I didn't believe that passage was true when it came to myself. Right. So there was a lot of wrestling of, well, what is true about God? And yeah. Right. Um, and then when he does bless in that area, it's not just I'm partying, but the whole church partied with me on my wedding day. <laughs> yeah, because they had seen my journey, walked with me through that. So. <laughs> it's yeah, funny. that it, it you know it's so powerful, and I think trying to have right thoughts about God when you're tested is probably one of the biggest challenges of mm. you know any any disciple, but. Um, are you glad you waited there for, for a day? Was, was yeah. it worth it? Oh, look, ever, I remember the first. I mean, look at this. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the first month of being married. I just wanted to yell to all my single friends, just wait. It's worth it. Just wait for the right one. Yeah. 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 And the guys that I dated, you know, they're still faithful. A lot of the great brothers, but they just weren't the right fit for me. And, and Dave is just the perfect puzzle piece. So it was great. 
That's awesome. That's great. Okay. Um, let me just ask you guys, what, aside from the Bible, what book has really inspired you guys? Like, is there anything you're reading right now that's, that's getting you pumped up? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I try to do quite a bit of reading. So there are, there are some good books I've read this year, but there's one that I kind of continually read snippets from every year. And it's called Failure of Nerve by Edward Friedman. Oh my gosh, and that's a great some, book. Yeah, so that, that one always, I go back to that one. That one kind of gets me the, uh, the ability to not fail when I, when I need nerve because there's mm-hmm. a lot of great insight mm-hmm. into that whole principle. So that's one that I read, you know, I'll probably go back to it every year, just read little snippets from that. I read a good one called The Listening Life, which is really cool this year. Talked a lot about how we listen. That's by Adam McHugh. That was a really good one as well. Uh, helps you to get in tune with God's word and just how he speaks. So uh, I thought that one was good. Yeah, I'm reading Jesus I Never Knew with the workbook at the moment. That's an oldie but goodie. Um, <laughs> and we read Radical recently uh, as a church too, which was awesome. But my one of my most favorite books is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Um, and that book actually helped me a lot through that time. That's when I first read it, but I've, yeah, helped me so much in my picture of God and how big he is. It's funny you mentioned that book. I just read that this month. I've read, I've probably read it three oh. or four times and it's such a powerful book. I mean, I would recommend mm. it to anybody. In fact, it's the first I've put together kind of a curriculum for like what I'm calling my one year evangelism program, uh, one year evangelist program. So I've got a couple guys that I'm working with. Uh, as you mentioned, and I've got like a curriculum and that's the first book I'm asking them to read and then to report on because it's so powerful about the motivation of a, of a godly person, you know, really deals with some deep issues and it's, uh, it's inspiring in, in, in a motivational way. And so that's, I love that book. That's great. You're recommending that. Absolutely. Every time I read it, it's got as powerful because it's loaded with great scripture and yeah. it really just touches on some um, deep issues that, you know, your motivation, what, why are you doing what you're doing? And it's really important, especially during COVID really, really helps has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, any final words, any, any advice you guys would give to people that look and go, Hey, I'd like to do something like that. Whether it's going on a mission field, going overseas, um, going in the ministry paid or non-paid, you guys have done both. Any advice you give to a person who really wants to make their life count and to live a life that has no regrets. Yeah. I think that the passage from Ephesians three is, you know, God could do immeasurably more. So don't, don't settle for anything mediocre. You know, you can ask and imagine things, but God can do immeasurably more whatever it is. And, but to to try it right now. So I, you know, wanted to go into ministry at a young age, but my, my character obviously wasn't ready. Um, And I just thought it was all about the flash and the preaching. And uh, so I'd encourage them to make sure that they're doing, they're doing the work now and not trying to just hope that it turns into something when they get appointed as the title. Uh, But really that, that conviction that God can do immeasurably more is, is a really driving thing. That whatever whatever it is we ask or whatever it is we imagine, uh, God can do doing more than that. And, and I've seen that with my life, you know, personally. I never thought I'd be in a foreign country, you know, leading a church, and 
and and at some point next year being able to plant another church god willing and so i've seen god really do that in my own life so it's been very inspiring yeah sim- similar just do do things that push you push your faith that you're scared of if you're living comfortably you're not living the best christian life you could live because when you get out of the boat is when you get to walk on water and experience god's miracles but it's terrifying and I, I always wanted to go in the mission field too, but not with a two-month-old and a two-year-old. Like my plan was, <laughs> no, 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 later, later. But no, God was calling us now. And um, and I'm so grateful we went for it and didn't let that hold our life stage hold us back. Or, mm. um, yeah, and I worked part-time as a nurse while doing part-time ministry before I got married and just trying to... Um, see where where does god want me how can he use me and and they couldn't afford to hire me so i'm like i'll make up the difference in nursing shifts and and it was my idea to propose that to the elders will you hire me a little bit (laughs) and uh yeah and they were really fired up about that and and then i got to sacrifice as well and give to the church in that way and so and and god just has used i'm just grateful for when i've risked it i guess and Mm. yeah it's been fun and then when i'm not doing that i'm not as happy spiritually and fired up or excited so yeah if you could just wave a magic wand and and kind of just conjure up the future that you'd like to see happen where all your dreams come true all your prayers are answered what what would it look like mm. wow what a magic wand I think, um, I think our children would all be christians absolutely they would marry strong christians yeah and there would be a church in every major city in New Zealand. Yeah. And then we'd extend that to the, to the islands. There's islands. a lot of Pacific islands here. And yeah. uh, that, that would kind of be our ministry goal. But, you know, I want my fa- My mom's a disciple and I'm faithful. She's going to make it to heaven. But I have a younger brother and I would wave that wand and bring him back to the fellowship as well. Uh, just to see my, my family make it to heaven as well. Yep. Wow, that's awesome. So you guys are planning on staying in New Zealand indefinitely. Any plans to go back either to Australia or to the States? We don't have plans, but... You never know what God knows, says, man. but we don't... Who knows? Yeah. We would love to stay here and build this ministry. We have a lot of dreams for here, and we feel like God is using us, and we've got a lot of great momentum, and so we just want to be along for the ride and see what happens. That's great. But either way, we desire to stay in the spa region. Spa region, that stands for? That's the South Pacific. South Pacific. So 11 churches um, over Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, and Fiji, about 1,400 disciples. So there's a lot of work to do. So we, we want to stay in this region. We felt like our relationships are deep here. Our our kids are, you know, loving it over here. And um, and God's working. So mm. we'll we'll stay as long as it's clear we're, we're meant to be meant here. To be here. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Well, Dave and Megan, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's it's inspiring. And and I, when I first met you, Dave, it was like, or second time I met you, I guess it it was just inspiring to talk to you, see what you're doing. And um, it's, it's powerful to see uh, a couple like yourself really advancing the gospel, planting churches. I go, that's, that's exactly what I want to do. Continue to multiply churches. And that's what you're doing. And you're doing it on the mission field. So uh, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. 
And I want to say Thanks, thank, thank you for joining me on the, on the podcast for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask you to please hit the subscribe button and let your friends and family know about this. My goal is to inspire you week by week to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.